0: Our scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, 15th chapter, the first ten verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable, What man among you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost, has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin... Does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents.
1: Lost. It was lost. I recently cashed my paycheck and um, put a portion of that in an envelope for groceries and gas and laid it on the desk there in the house. So I went to get it and it wasn't there. So I searched all through the desk, all the papers that were there, the pencil drawer, the other drawers where I'd never put it but figured it might be there anyway and looked through the kitchen. In the bedroom, uh, the kids' bedrooms, went to the car. Looked there, not to be found. It was lost. It might have only been sixty dollars, three twenty-dollar bills, but back in 1983, uh, that would go a long way. You could actually buy groceries and need more than one bag uh, for with sixty dollars worth. So money was tight, we really couldn't afford to lose that and so I set on a mission to find that money. It occurred to me that maybe, you know how sometimes things can find their way into the trash that don't belong there, or sometimes things can be found in the trash somewhere else that don't belong there, but that's another story. Uh, Nonetheless, I decided uh, maybe I'll look through the trash, and so I went and got the trash can out, looked through it, and there was nothing there that resembled that envelope, whatsoever. Well, then it occurred to me that just the day before the the trash truck had come and collected it, and uh, you know, the town where we lived issued all the residents these big black plastic trash bags uh, for free. That was nice. Uh, it was supposed to make garbage pickup a, a, a lot easier so the truck stops and you know the man gets out and just grabs the bag and throws it in and it, it's just easier and uh, that uh, was what I was dealing with so I went down uh, to where the terminal I guess you'd call it uh, was and uh, asked the the man there in charge if I could you know check the truck that had come down my street and uh you know there was you know some money in it i thought might be there and he said sure have at it so crawled into the back of that garbage truck and uh looked through it and nothing was there that resembled my garbage whatsoever so uh the man came up and he was sympathetic and he said well You know, it's possible that one of our trucks has already gone to the landfill, so you you might want to check there. Okay. So I went home and changed clothes and uh, armed myself for battle. You know, I was on a mission, so I had on my uniform fit for doing battle with garbage in a landfill and had my trusty utility knife that I was going to use to... Hack my way through black plastic trash bags until I could find the one that belonged to me. So I'll get out to the landfill. Uh, the landfill serves uh, the whole county. Even though there weren't a lot of people who lived there, we produced a lot of garbage. So you look out there and, and I see it, it, it's almost like waves of black plastic trash bags, acre after acre as far as you can see. It reminded me of the first time I saw the ocean when I was about 10 years old. It's just vast and endless, you know, and and you see the wave. And I thought, maybe this is what the Black Sea would look like, you know? (laughs) So uh, where do you start? So I go down there where I had seen uh, some garbage trucks backed up and, uh, well, I'll I'll look here and uh, couldn't find anything. Um, the, the man, I did check in with him first. So he, he comes down and, uh, you know, asks uh, how it's going. And said, you might not be in the right place. So, you know, where, where's Okalona's, that was the name of the town we lived in in Mississippi. Uh, where's our trash? So he said, well, we'll try over here. So I go in there, whack, whack, this way and that way. You know, you slice off the top and, you know, you know look through and see if there's anything. And, and I did that for I don't know how long. And uh, then the man saw that I was not having any success, so he said, well, you know, there is one more possibility. Uh, Some of these trucks haven't been unloaded yet, uh, so you you might want to check and see. Uh, So I uh, did. So I climbed into this garbage truck. And you know how the garbage trucks have this uh, hydraulic thing that you, you got this big blade and it pushes the garbage up toward the, the front um, well the one I was in it had pushed the, the garbage up toward the back uh, so I wasn't going to be able to get to too much unless I climbed up over that blade it it kind of reminded me of you know these war movies where they inch along on, on their bellies and then they get up to uh uh cliff or a rock or something, you have to kind of slither over it to keep from being hit by bullets sailing over their heads. I've never done anything like that. This is about as close to a war story as I'm gonna get. But nonetheless I, I slither over the top and I'm I'm looking. And I'm at the point now where I realize, okay, our grocery money is gone, gas money is gone. We'll have to adjust uh, so I did the only thing I needed to do at that time which is what I should have done earlier I, I prayed Lord you know we need this money uh, things are, are, are tight for us um, please <laughs> and so as I kind of hacked my way back behind this blade I, I looked up into the corner as, as far back in the truck as, as you could see and and i saw a cardboard box and uh, it was just after christmas so you know we'd received guests from my parents uh, so i thought could it be that that's you know our box and so as i kind of made my way through these black plastic trash bags to look at that box i saw something that gave me great hope it was A name written on a box. Uh, The return address had—I could see just the top line—and at the top line it said Southard's. So I thought, ah, I found the the location. And so I dive in, swim my way through that black sea of trash bags, take out my sword—I mean my utility knife—and whack through that black plastic trash bag that's sitting there next to that box and open it up there's junk mail on top so I'm sifting through the junk mail and then I come to a blank envelope and I open it up and there are three brand new crisp $20 bills and so I rejoiced kissed that money (laughs) and express deep gratitude to God for helping me find what was lost. Today we begin a new mini-series on the topic of lost and found. And I've chosen to do this so that we can create a culture of evangelism among us. And when something is lost that is dear to us, important to us, we don't rest until we have exhausted every means possible to find that which is lost. And that's what these three parables, actually is one parable. In Luke 15 there's a parable of the, the lost sheep, of the lost coin, and of the lost son. It's really just one parable, but it has three parts to it. And today we're going to uh, look at the first uh, two parts of that, about the lost sheep and the, the, the lost son. And then the next several weeks, uh, we'll spend more time on the, the parable uh, that we know as the prodigal son, or as some say, the lost son, to you know, be in harmony with lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. But it's actually lost sons, because both of those sons were lost. One was obviously lost, and one was lost and didn't know it. And we're going to see those elements in these first two parables also, which builds up to uh, the, the final story that has the, the, the big uh, punch to it. But I want us to uh, consider this question first when, when we get started. Why, why did Jesus tell this trilogy of parables? Why did he tell you know, three parables in a row about the same thing, you know, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the, the lost son or sons? And I've come to the conclusion that he he did this basically to reveal hearts. So when when scripture reveals our hearts, uh, we know that God is speaking to us. So I want to begin with uh, the hearts of uh, the tax collectors and of the sinners. These are the people who were lost and knew they were lost. In the first verse... Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now one day Jesus comes into town, and as always, there are plenty of people who go out to hear him speak. Who are these people who go out to hear Jesus? The religious leaders? Uh -uh, no way they're not going out to to hear him it's the tax collectors and the sinners they are the ones who were drawing near to hear Jesus the Pharisees were not happy with that but what really set them off was this that Jesus was eating meals with these sinners man of God wouldn't do that Pharisees thought You didn't associate with the likes of tax collectors and sinners. You kept your distance from them. The word Pharisee actually means separate. So uh, the, the Pharisees believed that the way to remain pure and righteous was to be separate from people that they identified as unclean or as sinners. So to associate with people like that, uh, would make you unclean. It would mean that you that your uh, religion really wasn't very good. You really did. You, you were not honoring God if uh, if you were you, if you were to do that. So, I mean, there there are even some Christians today who believe that you, you shouldn't do that. For example, let's say that um, you know Billy Graham. Billy Graham is gone now. Uh, but we're familiar with his um, personality, um, left a big mark in um, our history. You know, what if someone saw Billy Graham go into uh, say a sports bar with some known sinners? Uh, you might think ah, Billy has lost his credibility. Uh, what if someone like R.C. Sproul? Uh, of course he's gone now too but in his commentary on Mark he relates a story that he went to uh, a country club to uh, play golf with someone some woman had called uh, Dr. Sproul and said hey uh, my husband would would like to play golf with you and so for as a birthday present to him I thought if if I could arrange for for you to play with him that would just thrill him so uh, R.C. says sure be glad to do that so uh, they, they go golfing, and as they uh, you know, finish up, uh, R.C. goes into the, the, the restaurant part of the, uh, the clubhouse there uh, with some known sinners. And there is someone there who is observing him doing that. And so he whips out his cell phone, and he calls the chairman of the board at Ligonier Ministries and says, our founder, our leader, Dr. R.C. Sproul is associating with some unsavory types, and I think you ought to know about it. Well, this is what Jesus was doing. He was sitting down with unsavory types, those who were known sinners, those whose character was in question, those whose morals were loose, so that's what the Pharisees thought Jesus was doing—that he was compromising his integrity. You know, in that culture, when when you ate a meal with someone, uh, that 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 was a big deal. Uh, that that showed acceptance. It 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 showed uh, that that you were welcome. Um, you know, in my home, uh, I identify with you. We have a relationship. Uh, to 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 break bread with someone, uh, and and. In times of old when a covenant was made, it was sealed with a meal, sometimes with a feast. And so to eat bread with someone else was to signify a tight bond. You know, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, even though it's just a little piece of bread or cracker and just a little bit of a cup, it gives us just a little bit of the taste of the sealing of the covenant uh, that, that we have with the Lord as he identifies with us and we identify with him and uh, we, we celebrate the uh, agreement that we have that closeness that bond that we have so that's what Jesus was doing with these people who were labeled as sinners so that's one group of people that Jesus was associating with uh, the sinners the, the unclean types and uh then there were the tax collectors. Uh, the tax collectors were in a different category altogether. Uh, but you might ask, you know, what is the essential difference? I mean, why would you have to have a separate category for uh, tax collectors? I mean, we're all sinners, aren't we? Uh, well, th- the term sinners in, in those days would mean uh, pretty much from the Pharisees' point of view, anybody who didn't agree with us is a, a sinner, um, and a tax collector, I'll talk a little bit more about sinners in just a moment, but let's talk about the tax collectors. Uh, tax collectors were especially loathed and despised, and for this reason, the uh, the Empire of Rome, Roman Empire, had come in and had uh, taken over uh, Israel, Palestine, that, that land, and uh, they needed to you know, raise revenue. You had to pay the the soldiers and the governors and whoever else to uh, keep uh, the the people there in subjection, and so um, to make the tax collecting a, a little easier, uh, what they did was they would have people put in bids uh, for their services. So if you wanted to be a tax collector, it was a lucrative job, and no question about that. But the way it worked is you had a quota. Uh, the quota was what Rome required. And whatever you got above that quota was yours. So you could charge as much for tax as you wanted to. So it may be that, uh, you know, one tax collector would offer a better deal than somebody else. Uh, You know, I don't know. But um, nonetheless, what tax collectors uh, would would do uh, would be to gouge people for as much as they could. And people and in Israel Judah they didn't like that they didn't like that at all and so to retaliate I mean it's kind of hard to retaliate against the IRS or I guess in this case the RIS Roman Internal Service no whatever you get the point so to uh, retaliate uh, they, they cut them off. And to be cut off in that society uh, was a lot more than anything we could imagine. Uh, they no longer could be part of the synagogue. They, they kicked them out. You know, the synagogue was the, the, the Jewish version of church. So it would be like saying, uh, you're not allowed to worship with us. They also were not allowed to testify in court. As they said, anyone who would do this to his own people, is greedy and does not have good judgment. His testimony cannot be trusted. Um, So tax collectors were ostracized. It wasn't just something that they kind of figured maybe they were being ostracized. Uh, It it, it was official. So uh, let's put this in terms that might make sense to us. You know, we're we're a, a, a great country. Big country, powerful country, wealthy country, so uh, we we feel relatively secure. We're not really in, in fear of some big, mighty empire out there uh, who might come in and uh, subject us uh, to their government, and then we have to pay tribute to them. But just for fun, let's let's imagine that the Canadians uh, decided to get together and uh, come down here and uh, take over. So. Uh, It can't possibly happen, so I mean, this is just for fun. But uh, imagine the Canadians get all their hockey sticks together and they come down across over the border. And uh, you know, our border guards are, you know, kind of lax. Uh, Never really much happens on the US Canadian border. uh, But the Canadians take advantage of that and they come down and they uh, they seize the capital and uh, they impose their Canadian language upon us. We have to speak that, so you have to end every sentence with A. And, uh, you know, everybody's really upset. And so uh, imagine what it would be that they would come to uh, the places where people gather and they come to the church. And so maybe they come to us and they'd say, uh, well, well, we need you to recruit uh, some tax collectors for us. Um, and um, here's the deal. Uh, they can take whatever they want to take. And uh, they give us what we need and th- they can keep the rest. Uh, would you trust someone like that in our church? <laughs> you know, who, who sold out uh, his country, sold out his friends, sold out his congregation. Um, I mean, if you can imagine what that would feel like, and that's just imaginary, uh, this is what the people of of, of Israel were, were going through. So th- they were not happy with Jesus associating with people like this. So... You've got the tax collectors. They're mentioned first because they were so despised. But the, the sinners, the people in that category, uh, it was a much larger category of people. Uh, sinners could be described as uh, those who were ceremonially unclean, maybe through uh, disease or you know skin problem. You know, lepers for sure, but. Uh, just a lot of people uh, who didn't qualify as being clean. You know, if you were a Jew and you came in contact with someone who's ceremonially unclean, then you're going to be ceremonially unclean. you have to go through a lot of rituals and you're excluded from fellowship for a while. Uh, so they thought in order to be pure and holy, you had to avoid these people. Uh, something they also believed... Um, which is believed for thousands of years in antiquity, that if you had a sickness or if you had a physical problem of any kind, it must be that you did something to deserve that kind of uh, consequence. And so uh, hence the the term sinners. These people are this way because they did something uh, to deserve it. In uh, John chapter 9, there is an occasion there where Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And... uh, the people who were uh, familiar with this man believed that he was blind because he had sinned. How do you, if you're born blind, what can you do to um, have that kind of consequence? And so they conclude, well, he must have sinned in the womb. Uh, that's their uh, explanation for it. But anyway, Jesus comes and he heals him, and the Pharisees, are not happy about that. They don't want to hear his testimony. Uh, So here's what they say to him. I think I can pull up the verse here, verse 24. The second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, I inserted that in there, is a what? He's a sinner because he had associated with people who were unclean. That makes him unclean. And because he did not observe the Sabbath in the way that they observed the Sabbath, that is, he doesn't do things the way that we do, therefore he is a sinner. So they labeled Jesus a sinner. They answered, uh, you know, and, and said again, you were born entirely in sins and do you teach us? And they cast him out. So... Lots of people could be labeled as sinners. You know, harlots were labeled as sinners. And a lot of times, uh, the, the women who resorted to that, they, they didn't have a lot of choice if they wanted to eat or have a uh, place to live, if uh, they didn't have a husband, if they were widows, um, there was no government provision for them, they could, you know, glean the fields on the edges. Uh, but a lot of times, they just didn't have... Um, sufficient resources and they couldn't get a job doing anything else so uh, they would do what they would have to do and then they get branded as a, a sinner and they're cast out. Uh, another group of people who might have been classified as sinners would have been aliens or sojourners. And if you go back to John 9 uh, where we're told about Jesus uh, healing the man born blind uh, you know, that's where we see that they regard uh, Jesus as a sinner. So, uh, you know, basically a sinner was anyone the Pharisees wanted to be separated from. I want to throw in just one more thing. Um, re- remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? How the the, the man went from uh, Jerusalem down to Jericho and fell among thieves and was beaten up and left for dead and so forth. And a priest comes by and he passes by the other way. You know, why he didn't get involved is that Man might have been dead, and if he got in contact with the dead, he would be ceremonially unclean and not fit to serve in the house of the Lord. And the same thing for the Levite. And what Jesus is saying is that these people who think that they are so righteous and so clean and so holy uh, cannot bear the thought of helping someone in need, even if their life is at stake, because it might make them ceremonially unclean, and therefore uh, in the classification of, of sinners. So they had things uh, kind of backward there. But anyway, these were the people that Jesus was uh, associating with, um, the sinners I mean, not the Pharisees. And uh, there's one thing I've, I forgot to say uh I'm going to, normally would just go on, but this is too good to pass up. So I, I'm going to go back. One of the consequences of a tax collector uh, who had been, you know, branded as, you know, one of those people, you know, he couldn't uh, could be in the synagogue, he couldn't testify in court. The other thing he couldn't do is they would not receive his tithe or his offering at the synagogue or at church. Can you imagine? Um I mean, he can't go there to attend, but, but he can't even send it in. Uh, they would consider that tainted. Um, now, you know you're a really bad person when the church won't take your money. <laughs> eh? <laughs> so, just so you know, none of you are that bad. Okay? Okay? So we will not offend you by refusing to receive your offering. Whether you put it in the plate or mail it in or do it online, you know, whatever, however you want to do it, uh, we'll take it. So you're accepted. All right. So anyway, Luke tells us that all the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus in order to hear him. And it raises this question. What is it about Jesus that attracts tax collectors and sinners. It's because Jesus accepted them. He didn't despise them or scold them for their sinfulness. And this gives us a clue to what's in the heart of these people who knew that they were lost. They were hungry for acceptance. So when Jesus comes and eats with sinners and tax collectors, he's saying something like this, he's saying, "I identify with you. I am one of you. I accept you." So no wonder that sinners and tax collectors were attracted to Jesus. And you know, even in our own day, there are, are many people who are—you know—I guess we'd say—outside the church who admire Jesus, but they really don't want to have too much to do with his followers. It's the same sort of thing we see in the first century. So, Jesus has revealed what's in the hearts of those who knew they were sinners. Uh, their, their hearts were longing, they were hungering for acceptance. He also revealed what was in the heart of the Pharisees. So, what was in their hearts? Hypocrisy, arrogance, snobbery, hardness, How do we know that? Well, I mean, that's kind of how we know Pharisees from our understanding of Scripture, but in Luke 15, 4, we get a clue. Jesus says to the Pharisees, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Okay, he says... Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, a flock of a hundred sheep would be a a big flock. The the normal size of a flock might be 10 to 15 sheep. But a a flock of 15, I mean a a flock of a hundred, would have to mean that there were several shepherds that were gathered together to uh, keep watch over this flock. So Jesus is saying, all right, uh, you call yourselves shepherds of, of the people, Uh, what what man among you if he loses a sheep wouldn't go and and look for it you know the other shepherds can watch the the, the sheep that are there but one that was specifically under your charge and and you lose it um, who wouldn't go and the question is almost rhetorical isn't it well anyone would go but the point Jesus is making is when he says uh, you know what man of you uh, if he's lost one Doesn't leave the 99 and go look for the one who is lost. He says, you're that man. You would not go. Because one sheep out of a hundred doesn't mean anything to you. You've got plenty more. And besides, if that sheep wandered off, probably gets what it deserves. And beyond that, to go look for the sheep would mean that you would have to crawl through some dirt and some mud and maybe some other nasty stuff, and then you would be ceremonially unclean, and uh, you don't want to deal with those consequences. And besides, there's real danger out there. There are predators out there. Uh, there are wolves and you know other predators looking for that sheep, and if they find the sheep, they might find you too, and it's just not worth it so what Jesus is saying is you're a bad shepherd it's not like the sheep wandered off Jesus doesn't say if a sheep has wandered off it says if he has lost one of them means that he was not a good shepherd uh, it was his fault that, that the sheep was gone he was preoccupied doing something else so essentially, by casting the Pharisees as the the shepherds of God's sheep, uh, in the parable he is essentially saying this: You call yourselves shepherds of God, or shepherds of God's sheep, rather. All right, if you lose one of these sheep because you're a bad shepherd, you know which one of you would go after them and trudge through the, the dirt and face the wild animals? Uh, he's saying none of you would would do that. And you're a, you're not, a, not, not a true shepherd because a true shepherd would go looking for the lost sheep, whatever the cost. You know, it's one thing to be likened to a shepherd of God's people. Being a shepherd of God's people was an esteemed title, one of importance and prestige in that culture. But being a physical shepherd of sheep was a job for the lowest class of people. The Pharisees wouldn't associate with the shepherds, much less be one. So we see what's in the hearts of the Pharisees. Hardness, hypocrisy, pride, snobbery, the list goes on. They saw themselves as pure and righteous, even godly, especially godly, when in reality their hearts were far from God. They were lost but they didn't know it. Okay, so, so far Jesus has revealed the hearts of the tax collectors and the sinners, those who were lost and knew it. He's revealed what's in the heart of the Pharisees, those who were lost and didn't know it. And now he's about to reveal what is in the heart of the one who came to seek and to save the lost. He reveals what is in the heart of God. So now that the Pharisees are exposed as the bad shepherds of Israel, Jesus tells them what the good shepherd would do. The good shepherd would leave the ninety and nine and go after the one sheep. He would roll up his sleeves and traipse through the the land of uh, mud and dirt, making himself unclean, all for the sake of that one sheep that is headed to its peril. He would do all of this to save that one sheep. This parable is pointing to an event that would take place which would rescue every sheep that Jesus came to seek and to save. A sheep weighed upwards of around 100 pounds. And so when the good shepherd would find a sheep perhaps in a thicket or trapped in a gully somewhere where it couldn't get out, sheep don't realize they can help themselves. if, If a sheep falls down, It figures it can't get up so it'll just lay there until something or someone comes and picks it up or eats it. Uh, So the sheep is helpless. Jesus likens us to sheep. We are helpless to do anything to save ourselves. The shepherd must come and rescue us. And get the picture here when Jesus takes the sheep that weighs about a 100 pounds, he's talking about the good shepherd, and puts it up on his shoulders and holds the sheep by its feet to give it a sense of security and also so it can't run away. It points to something else that weighed about 100 pounds that Jesus carried on his shoulder, the cross. It was through the cross that Jesus came, endured all of the perils All of the uncleanness, all of the rejection that was associated with seeking and saving that which was lost. In the parable of the lost coin, the woman searches diligently for that one coin that she has lost. Some commentators say that what it may have been what was a headband that had you know, ten coins around it. That, that headband signified that she was married. And, and It would have been the most valuable possession that she had. And if one of the coins were to fall out of that, uh, it, it just wouldn't look the same. It, it would be incomplete. And so she is searching diligently. You know, she sweeps the floors. They had dirt floors, you know, thinking maybe it got covered up with dust. So she gets the lamp out and she sweeps. Uh, She is looking diligently for that which is lost because it is precious to her. Whatever it takes is what she is doing. And when she finds it, she has the same reaction as the shepherd does when he finds the lost sheep. There is much rejoicing notice that there's nowhere in the parable where the shepherd is scolding the sheep uh, even though the sheep wouldn't understand human language it would understand tone but you wouldn't hear a shepherd say you idiot why in the world did you leave the flock you know you ought to know that there is danger out there uh, i'm going to teach you never to wander away again um you don't see scolding. The tax collectors and the sinners enjoyed being around Jesus because he was non-judgmental. He didn't scold. He just accepted you and made you feel accepted, valuable, worth something so that he would come out and find you. That's really what this trilogy of parables is about. We have a good shepherd whose mission is to seek and to save that which is lost. Those who cannot save themselves will endure anything. Anything. To bring you home. I want to take us, before just in wrapping up, I want to take you back to the garbage truck that I was in for just a moment. So you know, we can do visual, and we can do audio. We, we can't do smell yet. So you'll just have to imagine that. But imagine being there in the uh, back of that garbage truck uh, with, with me for, for just a minute. I'm sitting there covered with garbage with a fistful of crisp new $20 bills in my hand, and I am so happy. You can see me kissing the money. But then I heard a voice. It was not an audible voice, but there was something inside that spoke to me. And the voice said something like this, you're really happy, aren't you? I said, yes, I am, I am. I am really happy. I'm happy beyond description. And then I sensed something else. Would you want to make me happy? Sure, Lord, I'd love to make you happy. How do I do that? Well, you were willing to go through all of this garbage to find three dollars bills would you be willing to go through garbage to rescue my lost sheep? Every one of them is important to me. And if you would find them and bring them to me, I would be so happy. Both of these parables, are at the conclusion of each of these two parables, and Jesus says that God rejoices with the angels. There, there is There is wild celebration in heaven when one sinner repents. God is extremely happy when we repent or when we help bring someone to repentance. This is the kind of culture that I'm asking us to develop. A culture where we desire to go through whatever it takes in order to bring someone to the Good Shepherd. And even as all of heaven celebrates when that happens, it gives us the deep satisfaction of not seeking our own happiness which is wonderful when that does happen but realizing that we can be agents of bringing extreme happiness and rejoicing to God our creator and our savior this is vitally important to him and should be to us as well So, two ways to make God happy. One is to repent. So, if you've never repented, by repent, it don't necessarily mean you have to grovel and um, say, you know, I'm such a lousy person. It just means you change the way you think. You Stop thinking, uh, well, I don't have anything to repent of. I'm a good person. And realize that you do need God. When that change of mind comes, you know, that, that's repentance. There's one other way to make God happy, and that is to go find someone who is lost and bring them to God. That makes him exceedingly happy. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, through your word, we have seen your heart. And we hope also that we have seen our own hearts as we have seen the hearts of the tax collectors and sinners on one hand and the Pharisees of of the other. Uh, We know that you're not speaking only to them. Uh, You're speaking to all of us. And so as we see our own hearts revealed, uh, we pray that you will draw us to repentance, all of us who who need to repent of of something. And knowing that this will make you extraordinarily, insanely happy, uh, we pray for that. We pray also for uh, the the heart of the Good Shepherd uh, to diligently seek and to save the lost. Uh, We pray for the heart of that woman who lost a coin and searched diligently until it was found. And we pray for the heart of both of those people um, who got their friends, family together to rejoice even as the angels behold you rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Only you can do this and we ask that you do it in us and through us. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen.